mystery tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 74th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Today's podcast is a special request by our listener, Jeffrey. It's also something that we've had on the list, but because Jeffrey requested it, we moved it up. And we thought it'd be perfect as we come into Halloween here. So we decided to include it in our October shows. And it's because this place is a very, very haunted location. Yes, and many, many things happen to many, many people there. We're going to talk about Gettysburg today. Before we get into that, we do want to point you at our website, historygoesbump.com, has everything you could want to know about the show. Denise, if people want to send us some feedback or want to just get a hold of us for some reason, maybe to tell us one of their true haunted experiences, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We had three people join us in the Spooktacular crew this past week. Woohoo! I know, it's awesome. We want to welcome Kelly. Hey, Kelly. We want to welcome Josh. Hey, Josh. And Ginger. Ginger, welcome. And you know what's really cool about Ginger? Fun fact. What? She drives a hearse. That is very cool. Which seems to go hand in hand with Josh, who is an embalmer. I know. We have all of our creepy crew joining us. I know. No Uh, offense at all, Matt. That's always a compliment on this show. Exactly. We also got two more reviews over at iTunes. That is fantastic. There's Necrosis, five stars, nice blend of history and parapsychology. This podcast has made history interesting for me, combining it with one of my interests, ghosts. Thank you for a very entertaining show. Well, you are welcome, Necrosis. And I love that name. Necrosis. It's like, do-do-do. And our other review is one of my favorites, five star. And I believe this is coming from Josh in St. Louis because it says J.C. Wood... STL. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in history and or the paranormal. Diane and Denise are fantastic hosts with very welcoming voices that make you feel as though you are all enjoying the conversation in person over a cup of coffee. Or in my case, it would be a chai latte. Chai tea latte. Yes, a chai tea latte. Not a tai chi latte as I've ordered for you on numerous times. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. She'll take a tai chi latte. I'm like, does that mean I have to drink it in slow motion? Slow motion on the banks of the river. Listening to this podcast makes the hours and the workday painlessly disappear and always leaves me in a pleasant mood. And of course, Josh also has told me that it keeps him better company than the dead people because they don't, they're not very conversational. Well, sometimes they are. <laughs> if they were really conversational, <laughs> we'd have to worry. You know, the other thing about Josh is on Twitter today, one of the hashtags that's trending is scare me in three words. So I thought I'd be clever, and I put out there, is this contagious? Sounds like a terrifying thing to hear in three words. Do you know what Josh tweeted back at me, Denise? What his scary three words were? I do know what they are, but why don't you go ahead and share? Denise is pregnant. (laughs) Talk about giving me a heart attack. That's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, Diane is so excited about children most of the time. (laughs) 
Not. All right, Denise, are you ready to go to one of the most haunted locations in America? I am. Gettysburg, here we come. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. It all started in 1911 during World War I. Lonely soldiers' wives in the Hungarian town of Nagarev decided to comfort their loneliness in the arms of the enemy. Allied POWs were being kept in the town, and many of these women took them as lovers, and some were impregnated. A midwife by the name of Julia Vizikas came to town that year. Her own husband had mysteriously disappeared. The women of Nagarev came to her with their problems. Vizikas performed abortions on many of the women who were pregnant. And for the girls who came to her complaining that they had been forced to marry the men that were now off to war and that they wanted out to be with their foreign lovers, she helped teach them how to make arsenic by boiling flypaper and skimming the poison off the top of the water. When the men returned from war, they would eat food made with the arsenic and die. Now you might think that suspicions would grow when the village clerk started recording all these deaths as murder. But the village clerk did not record the deaths as murder, because she just happened to be the cousin of Vizikas. The poisoning soon spread from the returning soldiers to other family members. These young women would off their parents as well since they considered them a burden. Every little problem was solved with arsenic. By the time a neighboring town caught wind of what was going on in Nagarev, 300 people had been murdered by 50 different women. The idea that arsenic poisoning could become a fad certainly is odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. (laughs) This Day in History On this day, October 9th, in 1834, the Dublin and Kingston Railway opens in Ireland. It was the first railway system for the country, and it was not completed without jumping through some hoops. Not everyone was keen on having the railway, particularly if it affected them personally. The line was going to run for six miles between Westland Row in Dublin and Kingstown Harbour in County Dublin. This meant having to cross through the property of two landowners, one of whom was Lord Cloncurry. Cloncurry was an Irish politician famously known for his adultery lawsuit against Sir John Pierce. Cloncurry decided that he was going to make some elaborate requests of the railway company before he would agree to let them use his land. He demanded that they build him a footbridge over the line so that he could cross to his bathing area. He wanted the bridge to have a Romanist temple built on it as well, complete with a tunnel for him to go through and a cutting to maintain his privacy. The other landowner made a simpler request of a large sum of money. 
The Dublin and Kingston Railway ran on that October 9th with eight carriage cars pulled by a locomotive named Hibernia. The line remains today as a part of the DART line, which is the Dublin Area Rapid Transit. from victoriaslift.com When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring. It's terrifying. The past remains with us and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. The Battle of Gettysburg is perhaps the most famous battle of the Civil War. President Abraham Lincoln even gave one of his most enduring speeches from Gettysburg and named it the Gettysburg Address. Nearly every American knows the first line, which reads, quote, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, end quote. Many men died during that battle, and it was truly the turning point of the war and the beginning of the defeat of the Confederacy. Perhaps this is why the Battle of Gettysburg continues to this day, not just as part of reenactments, but as ghostly battles continuing on the field. Countless witnesses have reported seeing the battle, hearing the sounds of the battle, and bumping into ghostly soldiers. Today we explore the history and the hauntings of Gettysburg. And I would like to point out that our research assistants, we had two of them for our show today, are Stephen Pappas and Amy Connor. Thank you to both of you for helping us out on this one. Absolutely. Thank you. The town of Gettysburg is a borough and the Adams County seat in Pennsylvania. In 1736, the land that now makes up the center of Adams County was purchased by William Penn's family from the Iroquois Indian tribe. At the time, the land was called Marsh Creek. The majority of the first settlers were of Scots-Irish descent that had fled Northern Ireland to escape English persecution. The French and Indian War led the residents of Adams County to become victims to several raids. One such event took place on April 5, 1758. The Jameson family was attacked at dawn. There were several children in the family, including a daughter, Mary, who was around 16 at the time. Mary was captured and two sons escaped. Several other family members were captured and taken west. Only the fate of Mary's parents is known. They were murdered on the trip west. Two Seneca women later adopted Mary. She had multiple opportunities to return to the white world, but chose to remain with the Native Americans. Later in life, she married two Indian chiefs and bore several children. Mary died in 1833 in her 90s. There's a life-sized monument dedicated to her memory at St. Ignatius Loyola Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. The Bard family fell victim to a similar attack on April 13, 1758. Their home was raided and their infant was murdered. Catherine Bard was kidnapped, but her husband escaped and was able to bargain for her release. It's important to note that raids only occurred during the French-Indian War. At the close of the war, residents were able to again exist peacefully. In 1761, Samuel Geddes, an early settler of the area, opened a tavern. A short 25 years later, his son James had added 210 lots to the town, which included a town square. Back then, Gettysburg was part of York County. But in 1790, the residents decided to separate from York County. In 1800, the state legislature approved a new county, and so Adams County was born, named after then-president John Adams. The residents chose Gettysburg as the county seat and named the city for the Gettys family. 
1860, Gettysburg had a population of 2,400 people. As many as 10 roads led in and out of town, making a small but successful economy possible. There were approximately 450 buildings that held merchants, banks, and taverns. Also included were the carriage builders, shoemakers, and tanneries. Gettysburg was also home to several schools and other educational facilities. The burgeoning industries and road system led two armies to Gettysburg in the summer of 1863. So apparently having prosperity is not necessarily a good thing. When the summer of 1863 rolled around, the Confederate Army, led by General Robert E. Lee, had achieved many victories. This convinced Lee that his army was ready to invade the North. This decision moved both armies from war-ravaged northern Virginia toward Pennsylvania. Lee thought that once he invaded the North, in F by chance he was victorious, the tired and haggard North would pressure the Lincoln administration to end the war. The 75,000-man Confederate Army was marching toward central Pennsylvania when on June 30th they learned that 95,000-man Union Army, led by George C. Meade, was pursuing them. Both armies arrived in Gettysburg on July 1st and thus began the Battle of Gettysburg, a battle that would last three days but live on in infamy. Two small factions of Confederates headed to Gettysburg, led by Hill and Ewell, to gather supplies. Unbeknownst to them, a Union cavalry was already there, but they were few in number, and the Confederates drove them back to Cemetery Hill. Lee saw the advantage his men had, and he ordered Ewell, who had taken over for the mortally wounded Stonewall Jackson, to attack Cemetery Hill. Ewell was worried that there would be too many Union forces, and he delayed. Because of this delay, Union reinforcements were allowed to arrive that evening and fortify Cemetery Ridge all the way to Little Round Top. As one studies the Battle of Gettysburg, you see that there's these decisions that are made that are so paramount to the outcome. And why they were made, I'll never understand. This man, you say Ewell, I don't know if it's Ewell, I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he's been told directly, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what I want you to do. And he decides, no, I don't think this is a good idea. There's still a lot of Union soldiers over there, and I don't want to push it. So now they're going to have to face even more Union soldiers. And since he's basically taken the place of Stonewall Jackson, what happens to most people when you take the place of someone else? Don't they compare you to that person? Yes. So now they're comparing this guy to Stonewall Jackson. Stonewall Jackson was called Stonewall for a very specific reason. He was like a wall that would not move. Probably a very brave man, you'd think, with a name like that. Well, if this Ewell guy is being compared to him, probably makes you look twice as bad as you already would have. So now we have the setup. This is day one. They've had this huge victory, pushing the Union forces back. They could have continued to pound them, but instead this guy says, eh, not going to do it. So now we're on to the following morning, which is July 2nd. And Denise, I find it very interesting, and maybe there's some synchronicity here, about these dates. And I've always thought that these dates are fascinating because here's when the tide is going to turn in the Civil War. And where are we coming into with these dates? We're coming up to our independence. So it's kind of interesting that we have the Civil War, which is ripping our nation apart. And yet for Independence Day, our whole nation came together to fight for their freedom. So I think it's very synchronistic here that we're going to have the end of this war is going to start right now. Lee decided to attack the Union where it stood. He directed two of his leaders to attack from each side while he drove through the center. Lee had wanted to strike early, 
but one group of Confederates was not in position until 4 p.m. Again, we have another error here that's going to cost them dearly. Daniel Sickles led his Union troops into holding the line. They stretched from the Devil's Den through a peach orchard and onto Little Round Top. The Confederates hit hard and Sickles was wounded. The Union lost ground. They retreated from the orchard and Devil's Den, but a Minnesota regiment helped to hold Little Round Top. The battle was bloody, and by evening both sides had lost 9,000 men each. 35,000 in total had died over the two days, but there was more fighting to come. And people wonder why Gettysburg is so haunted. On July 3rd, General Lee made a critical decision that would be a bad one. He thought that the Confederates were close to victory based on the previous two days of fighting. He ordered a division of 15,000 led by George Pickett to march three-quarters of a mile in open field to hit the center of the Union forces. This plan would come to be known as Pickett's Charge. It began at 3 p.m., led by an infantry bombardment of artillery. The Confederates were hit from all sides, and Pickett's division lost two-thirds of their numbers. The survivors retreated and Lee regrouped for a Union counterattack. He expected it to come the next day, but it never did. Lee knew his army was decimated, and on the evening of July 4th, he led his men back to Virginia. This battle signaled the end was near for the Confederacy. Makes you wonder if Meade decided to just back off and not counterattack because it was July 4th? Yeah, either that or he knew that more losses of men would be would be too much. Who knows? General Lee was a brilliant man. I cannot understand why he decided to do this Pickett's Charge. And much greater minds when it comes to military engagements than my own have probably studied this for decades. But why in the world would you march through an open field? Because they literally were surrounded almost everywhere except for from behind. So how in the world they thought that they were going to accomplish this attack, I have no idea. They were sitting ducks. They basically were put out there as... Target practice, it sounds like. Target practice, exactly. Several months later, the citizens of Gettysburg were still working through the aftermath of the battle. And one of the reasons why is because this not only took place out in these fields, but it went through the city as well. A prominent attorney, David Wills, was tasked with the establishment and construction of the Soldiers National Cemetery. It was meant to honor and be the final resting place of the fallen Union soldiers. Wills was also responsible for the dedication ceremony, and he invited President Abraham Lincoln to attend. The ceremony took place on November 18, 1863, and this is when Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. The city of Gettysburg, and in particular the battlefield where the Battle of Gettysburg was staged, are thought to be some of the most haunted places in America. Tales of hauntings reach into the thousands. Bodies littered the streets of Gettysburg, and many were dumped into mass graves. Those that were wounded and dying were taken to buildings throughout the town that were turned into makeshift field hospitals, meaning that people died all over the town. Could this be why there are so many accounts of haunting experiences? Denise and I have a paranormal investigator friend, Linda Zimmerman, who was driving through the area with her husband. And this is one of the only times that she's seen a full-bodied apparition. And I'm going to go ahead and let her share her story with us. My husband and I were at Gettysburg, and it was on the anniversary of the battle um, at the wheat field, and at the time of the battle as well. And I wasn't doing anything with ghosts at this point. I was writing about Civil War history, and actually I was doing an article on reenactors, and there in the middle of the wheat field was this Confederate soldier. Now, everybody in Gettysburg wears a uniform. It's, it's common sight. 
So my husband said, well, why don't you interview that reenactor? And I'm looking at him. The more I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, now he's a, he's a terrible Confederate reenactor. He should be all grungy. I said, everything's too shiny on him. It's just like everything was bright and reflective. And I was like, what is with this guy? He's a terrible reenactor. And he's like, oh, just interview him. So I'm like, all right. So as he's stopping the car, I lean down to pick up my pad, uh, my notebook, and I sit up. And he's gone. And this is just in the middle of an open field, and we're, we're both waiting for him to stand up. I said, oh, no, he's fallen down. <laughs> and he's, he's not getting up again. And I'm like, he really must have been hurt. So we went running out into the field. We couldn't find him any. We went around that field. We went everywhere. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Um, so, yeah, he fell down probably about 150 you years at 40 years ago. So that was remarkable because we had no idea that what we were looking at wasn't real. And that was, that was startling. That was startling. And I, I, as I said, I wasn't even doing ghosts at that point. But I can picture it clearly as any, any memory I've ever had of that soldier walking across that field. It is an absolutely remarkable place. Nowhere that I've ever been has that intensity of activity over such a wide geographic area. If you spend any time in Gettysburg and don't have a paranormal experience, I think you're unusual. When filming the 1993 film Gettysburg, several of the extras who were playing soldiers were sitting on a hill known as Little Round Top. They were approached by another gentleman wearing a tattered and burned Union Army uniform and who smelled of sulfur. He commented on how intense the battle had been, passed out extra rounds of ammunition, and walked down the hill. The extras assumed this was just another actor who had wandered up the hill, but when they brought back the ammo to the props department, the props folks said that it had not come from them and identified the rounds as authentic and dating back to the mid-1800s. Could this have just been an extra who happened to be a collector? It's still pretty odd. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking an extra is not going to be the one passing out prop ammunition. And what would be even more interesting is if they would have had some kind of an antique gun there and were able to fire those rounds, because I'm thinking most prop ammunition is not loaded bullets. At Ex least I would hope not. Exactly. Uh, especially going back to talking about the Bruce Lee episode and, and the crow. Interesting, because not only do you have a full-bodied apparition that is intelligent and speaking to them, but it actually gave them something physical that they had, that they could hold on to. That is stunning. How does that happen? So that's even more than the Holy Grail. That's like, <laughs> wow. I mean, how, I, just scientifically, I, I've never understood how a ghost is able to materialize physically, period, much less something physical passed to somebody who is alive and existed. It didn't evaporate. It didn't pass through their hands. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. The Pennsylvania Hall building at Gettysburg College was used as a hospital during the battles and as a lookout. General Lee himself watched from the old dorms cupola. One resident and his roommate claimed to have seen a shadowy figure in the cupola. This happened over several nights. Surely many men saw their end in the building. Two of the faculty were coming down on the elevator from the fourth floor to the first level. The elevator kept on going past the first floor and onto the basement. 
So they hadn't pushed that number, but it just kept going. When the elevator opened, what the men described was a silent horror. They said they saw ghastly figures of bodies laying around and a nurse and doctor tending to them. Blood was splattered across the walls. There was no sound from the scene that laid before them, but they said the nurse looked at them with a pleading look on his face. They hit the buttons for the doors to close and made it back up to the first floor. Both men still claim to have seen this. This is similar to, was it Janice Carlson we were talking to that said that uh, it was at Gettysburg that you would see doctors who would be motioning to people to come and help and beckon for help? So this is a very similar scene here as you've got this person who's seeing them, so it's intelligent, and is basically asking them for help. What makes you really wonder is, did he not notice that they were wearing clothing that would be very strange for that time period? Yeah, but maybe with all the stress of the battle and trying to help, and like, here's, here's you're the, just seeing people. <laughs> here's the other really weird thing. What did they show up in? An elevator. I did, I mean, can you imagine? Now, this is when I talk about that these types of events could be time loops or mm-hmm. something that they're crisscrossing with each other. Can you imagine if we're just sitting here and we have no idea what an elevator is? And all of a sudden we see this parting of a wall or something and there's these men standing there. You know, you said that dressed weird, they might have thought they were angels of some sort. Maybe. And so beckoning them over to help with the wounded. Maybe. Because that's what I would think. If something opened in the wall and there was people there, I would think it was possibly angelic rather than a ghost. Well, maybe I think it was a ghost. I don't know. There have been countless accounts of people hearing screams on the battlefields and cries of soldiers urging their men to charge from within the woods surrounding the battlefield. Orbs and mist have been captured on film in many locations on the battlefield, especially at the Soch-covered bridge. This is where many have claimed to see a few different apparitions of soldiers. The battle poured into the town and skirmishes took place everywhere. The dead bodies laid in the street to the point that the smell of decay was overwhelming. Women would press handkerchiefs soaked in peppermint or vanilla to their faces to protect themselves from the smell. Those scents are still detected today as ghostly aromas. That came out in another podcast as well about the handkerchiefs and stuff. I believe it was Tombstone. Yes, it was that they would wear those over their faces so they didn't smell the nastiness in the streets. So same effect here. Thankfully, especially for those of us like myself who's all factory sense is heightened. Uh, The stinky part of the decay is not what's being detected. It's the nice little vanilla or peppermint smell. (laughs) Many homes that were built on the edge of the battlefield are now owned by the National Park Service, and there are claims of hauntings in these homes. The George Weikert House is one such haunted residence used by park rangers. There are tales of a door on the second floor that refuses to stay shut. One ranger nailed the door shut and still found it opened later. The attic plays host to disembodied footsteps. Another of these homes is the Hummelbaugh House, which is haunted by a Brigadier General and his dog. Brigadier General Barksdale was wounded on Seminary Ridge. Barksdale. Goes with the haunting dog. Exactly. He was brought to the front of Hummelbaugh House, where he called out for water over and over. This was even after he'd been given water. The general died and was buried on the property, but his wife soon arrived and had the body exhumed so she could bring it home to bury her husband properly. She brought the general's loyal dog with her, and he leapt onto the grave before the body was exhumed. They managed to pull him away so they could unbury the general. The dog jumped back on the grave after the exhumation and refused to leave. The wife finally left the heartbroken dog who became a fixture at the farm. He remained there until he died from dehydration since he refused food and water. 
The general's cries are heard to this day, and people report seeing not only the general, but also his dog. And an unearthly howl is heard sometimes on the anniversary of the general's death. Wow, that would be very haunting, not to use a pun, but just to hear this howl of this heartbroken dog. You just hate it when you hear that because you can't talk to animals to get them to understand. But just amazing that he knew his owner was in there. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And even when they had the body out, he stayed there. So since the general's haunting there, it makes you wonder if he was staying at the grave with the spirit. Very much could be because they say dogs and animals are definitely sensitive to Mm -hmm. spirits. In the town of Gettysburg, a children's orphanage opened in 1860. The original owner had to move out of the area and left Rosa Carmichael's in charge. She was a sadistic woman, and the orphanage was closed in the 1880s after it came out that she beat the children, tied many of them in the basement for days on end, and was also rumored to have killed some of them. They later found that the basement had been converted to a dungeon with torture devices and shackles on the walls for children to be chained up and many times left to die. There have been numerous accounts of people hearing disembodied children's voices and even feeling as though they are being physically touched. Yeah, there's a special place in hell for Rosa. Yeah, if even hell will take her. I actually think I've heard this story before, that she had run this orphanage and she wouldn't feed them, and then what she was feeding them was just horrible, and everybody thought she was this great, warm-hearted woman who was taking in all of these children. And then they come to find this out. And I think they finally discovered it because somebody noticed that there was a lot of children that weren't coming out of that orphanage to be adopted or growing up. Fun fact, some people have claimed to not only see ghost soldiers, but full-on ghost battles. And as a matter of fact, Denise, one day I was listening, this is back when I was really into politics, and I was listening to Michael Medved's show. And it was right before Halloween. And he's not a big fan of Halloween. He doesn't like his kids to go out trick-or-treating and all that stuff. But his wife is really into it. Well, he decided since it was coming up on Halloween that he would talk about some Halloween-themed type stuff. And one of those things, obviously, is ghosts. He is completely skeptical about everything and doesn't believe in anything except for ghosts. And the reason why is because of Gettysburg. When he was a young man, he had a group of friends and they decided that they would challenge themselves by staying out on the battlefield there at Gettysburg. So they camped out in sleeping bags and they're sleeping out on this field. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, they're awoken to these sounds of guns firing, men yelling. And he said he woke up and they were literally in the middle of a battle. And it was not physical. It was like most people would expect to see ghosts. It was kind of this ghostly, misty look to it. But they could hear it and feel it as if the battle was actually going on. And they were like in their sleeping bags right in the middle of it. And he said from that day forward, he has always believed in ghosts. I was about to say that would definitely make a believer out of the most <laughs> most strong skeptic. <laughs> Especially because the key part is he was with a group of people and they all saw it. So either you're all hallucinating together or it's really happening. Hmm. The Farnsworth House Inn is home to many disturbing hauntings as well as some less terrifying ones. One of the rooms is even closed and padlocked because of all the aggressive activity that has been reported there. Here's a quote about the inn from Weird U.S. Quote, the lock on the door sometimes rattles of its own accord. And meanwhile, up in the Garrett's Ensuit bathroom, a bloody mess that's almost impossible to clean sometimes appears. The room was apparently a post for three Confederate sharpshooters during the conflict. 
and presumably at least one of them was seriously injured or killed there. In another upstairs room, a bereaved man is heard sobbing inconsolably and seen carrying a child wrapped in a quilt. The door to the cellar often opens to an apparition carrying a wounded comrade down to the catacombs, where a voice is heard singing quietly. And in true sixth sense mode, the temperature suddenly plummets inexplicably. Other rooms feature less frightening occurrences. The McFarland room often contains strange sounds, including unusually heavy breathing and close-up not from neighboring rooms. The Schultz room is supposedly often visited by a solicitous midwife who tucks you in and a little boy. Both are considered very benign presents, but apparently one of them smokes cigars, end quote. So either the girl or the little boy, I have a feeling we have a woman cigar smoker. I would, I would assume, but you never know. I mean, little boys back then might have been smoking cigars, too. They oh, did a lot true. of crazy stuff back then with the kids. Uh, the other interesting thing there is the bathroom or that room that ends up becoming a bloody mess that you can't clean up. Again, here we have something physical. It's just weird. Yeah. And I, boy, is this place, how in the world did this place end up so haunted? It's I, got something going on in every room. Yeah, it could be. Well, it said many makeshift hospitals throughout. So anything that had a lot of rooms would become one of those hospitals. And the we've talked often about the techniques that were used. In fact, mm. just not too long ago, we were talking about, you know, they would amputate without any kind of anesthesia or anything. And so you can just imagine the horrors of the it horrors, all. Yeah. Oh. Well, and they thought it, it's speculated by a lot of people or maybe there's medical people who know this to be a fact, it was easier to treat a gunshot wound to an arm or leg by just hacking off the limb. I don't know why that's better than actually trying to remove the bullet, but it's probably because of infection. I would say it's probably definitely infection because they didn't have the things we have today. So it seems weird to us, but back then, because gangrene would go through your whole body and kill you. Exactly. So just what a horrific war this was. There was other ones that were, uh, you know, in school I did the Battle of Antietam and we had to do the history and do a little video about it. And I thought that that was horrendous. And this is pretty darn close. War is just a horrible thing, really and truly. So many people die. And sometimes you wonder, for what? These men were killing each other because of what? Because they wanted to have their own be separate? I just, it's amazing to think that our nation went through a time where we were killing each other. The battle that took place at Gettysburg seems to continue to rage on. The eyewitness accounts are too many to ignore. It is difficult to claim that people are just imagining these experiences. But, as we always like to do, we leave it to our listeners. Is Gettysburg haunted? That is for you to decide. I think there's no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Most places I'm like, me. Gettysburg, I am completely convinced, is haunted. Yes, and that is definitely on our list of places we would like to go visit someday. Definitely definitely want to go there one day. It's definitely on the list. Our next show is going to be on... Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. So for those of you who are listening in the archives, this is no big deal to you because you're looking down the list going, we already know what the next show is. No big secret there. But for those of you who listen to the shows as they come out live, basically, quote unquote, live, you're going to love this one. We're going to be in the South somewhere. Pretty haunted city. Hmm. Hmm. We want to thank you guys for joining us. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers for this podcast have been Nicole Johnson, Tanya Turner, Amy Connor, Dave and Ann Student, Heather Williams, Jade Lewis, Stephen Pappas, Patty Henry. We've been saying her last name wrong. It's not Hunt. It's Henry. We're so sorry, Patty. Sorry, Patty. We do apologize for that. 
Janice Carlson, Dan Foytick, Rachel Cooper, Levi Drescher. Thank you. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.